Yeah, you may have heard that before. Maybe you've heard it tons of times or numerous times that the power of one person, that one person can make a difference. And sometimes what happens is we think, well, but not me. And I, I can't make a difference. I mean, because I'm doing what I'm doing. I live in the, uh, in, in the place that I live. I'm, I'm married to this person. I'm in this family. How can I make a difference? I'm just a husband. I'm just a wife. I'm just a teacher. I'm just, and we fill in the blanks, and we forget that the power of one is not necessarily based upon what you do. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, the power of one is based upon who you are and who God made you and I to be. In the series that we're in called Counterfeit, we're actually learning some things about God as well as the devil himself on, on how God has wired us up and how he has given us a life to live and that the enemy tries to rob us from that life that God has given to us. And if we're not careful, if we don't know the difference between the two, then we will get duped by the counterfeiter, the one that comes in to steal, kill, and destroy. So when you came in, you were given a bulletin. There are some notes in there that you can take out. It'll help you to follow along. And if you're new today, it'll keep you on track. For those of you who use the Bible or our church app, you can take that out also. And that's super good because you can read your handwriting later. For people like me, when I read it later, I'm thinking, what in the world did I write? But when you think about the power of one, one person, one individual, one person that makes the difference, usually we say that for other people. That, oh, yeah, that, they did a great job, but we never say that for ourselves. And it could be because we think to ourselves that, well, but I don't want to, I don't want to showboat. I don't want to make it seem like I'm someone or something like that. But really, that's the counterfeit side of it. That we're thinking, oh, well, we have to be somebody in order for us to make a difference. But God says, no, you already are someone. I created you in my image. What greater image do we need? That's the image that we're created in. It's the, in, in the image of God. So in order for us to know the difference between the things of God and what is of the enemy, then we will need to know the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's what this series is about. Let's look at our notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. It says that Satan himself, what does he do? Yeah, he masquerades as an angel of light. He masquerades. And that word masquerade actually means to disguise or to transform. So the devil can disguise himself, transform himself to your liking so that you, you kind of get pulled in and sucked into his ways without even knowing it. Why? Because it looks good, sounds good, feels good, tastes good, smells good, and you think it's right. And the devil got you right where he wants you. And we don't even know it because he can appear, masquerade, transform as an angel of light. And so the way we know the difference is to get to the, the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. See, that word mass, um, uh, counterfeit actually comes from two different words. It comes from words that mean in opposition make. It's contra facer. Which means that when the devil tries to counterfeit, he tries to make everything in opposition to God. So whenever you feel devalued, whenever you're discouraged, whenever you feel less than, unworthy, giving up, that's the exact opposite in which God has said, this is who you're supposed to be. So once you come to the true knowledge of Jesus Christ, it's so much easier 
to pick out what is counterfeit. And when the devil tries to come in, God has already spoken and says, but I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. But we get disconnected sometimes, and God says, i got to bring you back to home base. I need to bring you back into unity with me so that you can understand the power of just one person, an individual, someone like you. And it's, it's often said that it takes a special person to do something great, to do great things. But sometimes we, we limit that thought because we have these filters in our minds that we filter it through all the junk and all the, yeah, but I can't, or I'm not able, or, but this happened, but I'm not doing this for God. And, and we, we put all these filters, and it's like God saying, take away all the filters. Just listen to my voice and follow my spirit and see what can happen. And God will show us the greater things. That's the power of one. History shows us how powerful movements were started with a person, an individual, history makers, innovative ideas, spiritual revivals started with one person. That's the power of one. And not only can one make a difference, but it, it only takes one ordinary person to do something extraordinary. It just, need, it just needs that one person. I love this poem by Edward Everett Hale, and he says, he says it like this, I am only one. But still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that only I can do. Yeah, only you can do certain things, so you make a difference. It was Walt Disney who had a, a different mindset when it came to, anim when it came to animation, when it, came, when it came to thinking different when it came to how entertainment was going to be, how stories would come to being and how he would bring stories to life. It was Steve Jobs who said, we got we to gotta do things different. And he thought different. We may think that the iPhone was the greatest invention that Steve Jobs and the Apple team has brought to our world, but really it wasn't. It was the way he thought that brings all of these things if we look at late night talk show host, Jimmy Fallon was the one who came in that reached another generation that Jay Leno may not have been reaching. So there's a, it's powerful when it becomes one person giving their very best. Now, those are people that may do things in our world that, that yeah, it may have some temporary meaning to it. And, and sorry to say, yeah, certain, these things are not going to last, except Disneyland might be in heaven, so that, that's, that's a good thing. But certain things are not going to last. So the question becomes then, well, what difference do we make, not just for this world, but for all of eternity? Because that's the bigger picture. That's where Mother Teresa comes in. One person makes a difference for all of eternity. Jesus Christ comes in, changes everything for all of eternity. When we read the New Testament, we cannot help but talk about Paul the Apostle, whose life was changed by Christ, and it changed lives the way the church would function for all of eternity not as some type of organization although we're organized but as a people of god that we would be difference makers in our world just just listen to how one can make a difference and this is a vote how one vote can make a difference in in 1776 it was one vote that gave america the english language instead of german in 1868, one vote saved 
President Andrew Johnson from impeachment. In 1923, one vote gave Adolf Hitler the, the leadership and power over the Nazi party. But one vote equals one person behind that vote. One person can make a difference for good as well as for evil or not good. And so it is when it comes to God, when he created you and I as an individual person, that he said you're going to make a difference. But not just for the temporary world, you're going to make a difference for all of eternity. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, we're going to read this together, and I really want this to sink in. And if you're new today and you're, you're wondering, well, I, I don't know who is Ephesians, who's that? Ephesians was a place, or Ephesus was a place that Paul the Apostle went to and started a church. So he's speaking to the Ephesians. So you could translate it to he's speaking to the Hawaiians, the Filipinos, the Asians, or I'll just say everybody. We'll just cover everybody. So we're going to read this together, okay? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Ready? Go. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, we'll read that and we'll say, calling, received, what life worthy? I don't, I don't get it. What was Paul talking about when he said a calling? What, is that, what does it mean to be worthy? Well, everyone has a calling. It's an invitation by God. That's the calling. It's an invitation by God. So when you hear people have saying, oh, you just got to follow your calling, you're like, okay. What does that mean? It's an invitation by God. It's like when you get an invitation for a party, you need directions, you follow those directions. And Paul says, you, there is an invitation by God. It is a calling by him, a divinely appointed calling. That word worthy means suitably, that it's suited for that occasion in a way that is right or appropriate for a particular purpose or situation. It means dressed for the occasion. That's what worthy means, dressed for the occasion. And the enemy comes in, he wants to counterfeit it, and he says, you don't need to dress for the occasion. You don't need to live life worthy of the manner of the calling that God gave to you. You don't need to. Just live like how you want. You don't have to worry about that. That's what the devil wants us to think. And not only does God give us an invitation, but he also initiated that invitation. It's by God himself. So what do you do with this calling? How, how can someone like you and I live in such a way that embraces this invitation by a holy God? I mean, there's, here's God's promise to you and I, that you and I can live a life that God envisioned for us by embracing this calling in these practical ways, understanding that one person can make a difference. And here's the first thing, if you want to write this in, to live life worthy of your calling. That we all want to live life worthy of this calling that God has invited us to. And whatever that looks like, because everyone is going to be different. Some of us think, oh, is the calling in ministry? Is that? It could be. Oh, is the calling to be a father? It could be. Is the calling to be a mom? It could be. God has invited you in this calling. What does he want me to do? See, that's where we get it wrong. We think God wants us to do something and then, oh, we now have his favor. He says, no, no, no. You're, you're already created in my image. I already have given you favor. And there's a, there's a calling on your life in who you're becoming in me. And the invitation of God and our calling will always go hand in hand. 
that calling, that you're worthy, live life worthy in that manner. In other words, you're, you're dressed for the occasion. Uh, I, I performed a wedding a ceremony yesterday. I flew out on Friday uh, from here, and it was on Oahu. So during the dress rehearsal or the wedding rehearsal, we're dressed in, you know, regular clothes. So we're doing the wedding rehearsal, and we go to the hotel, and, and uh, we park the car, the valet. Uh, they park the car. So we get to the wedding rehearsal, and everyone's there. We're going through the rehearsal, and then we're done. And as I'm leaving, I get my car. Thank you, valet uh, workers. And then I leave. Next day, the day of the wedding, everybody in suit and tie. So I'm wearing a suit and a tie, and I drop off the car. And as I'm walking, people are waving like, hi, hi. And I'm thinking, hi, yeah, well, okay, hi. So we get there, and we perform the wedding ceremony. Then as I'm leaving, people are still waving and talking to me and saying, hi, good to see you. Aloha, welcome to Hawaii. <laughs> so we're in Waikiki at one of the hotels. And I'm standing at the curbside, and I'm, I'm waiting for my car. And then this tourist lady, Japanese lady, we're wonderful lady, comes up to me. She goes, oh, ah, a grand tour bus. And I said, excuse me? She goes, grand tour bus. And the valet worker looks at me. I look at him, and I look at her, and he goes, she thinks you work here. And I said, oh, konnichiwa. Oh, ah, grand tour bus right over here in this direction. And the, the guy was like, hey, right on. He said, I get him. I said, no, I got your back. I, hey, I can't. hey, if I'm going to dress the part, might as well work. I got like 50 bucks in tips. I was like, yeah. I really didn't, but I, I should have. But I thought, what was the difference? The day before I had normal clothing, no one even said hi. This day I'm in suit and tie, and they're waving at me, and konnichiwa, and they, 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 they think I work there. Well, the difference was when I looked behind the counters, all of the managers had suits and ties. So I was just blending in, and I thought, isn't it interesting? Same person, different outfit, different response. As a believer, as a Christian, same person, but I wonder if I dress differently from time to time. Am I living a life worthy of the calling that God has given to me? Just think of where you are right now in life and, and in your calling, who God has invited you to be. Maybe you're a husband, a wife, a parent, grandparent. You work somewhere. Maybe you're a teacher, police officer, firefighter. Maybe you own a business of some kind. Whatever it would be. That's not, that's not who you are. But it's a part of your calling. And God surrounds you with people so that you can be an influencer for him. Not someone who smashes the Bible across people's heads, but a person who really embraces others so that hopefully they can find Jesus Christ and draw close to the Father. Now, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great that as we live our lives worthy of our calling, that people connect us with the Father? that they can see their way home to God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11, the Bible tells us, so we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. In other words, that when, it, when the Bible, and this is Paul the apostle saying this, he says, you which is, this is you to do. It's singular. This is you. When we become or live a life 
we are now able to accomplish the good things for God that our faith prompts us to do. In other words, being comes before doing. Sometimes we flip that around and we say, well, what do I have to do for God so that he loves me, accepts me, so that people accept me? He says, no, no, you got that wrong. I already created you in my image, so you're okay in who you already are, and it's out of who you are that you're going to do. It's being that's going to allow you to have this faith that shows you what to do. But if you flip that around and we think it's by works, by doing things that is going to gain God's favor, he says, you got that backwards. I already did everything for you. You just need to be in me. And it's great to do great things in the world, but Jesus is calling us to do great things for his kingdom. We just have to remember that he created us in such a way that we are to walk this life worthy of the calling that God has for us. Here's the second thing, and it's to bear with one another in love. Now, it almost sounds like tolerate. You, I, I got to tolerate people. It's like you got to bear with me. Just bear with me. Oh, man, you're so irritating. You have to bear with me. Oh, why do you always have to say things like that? Well, you got to bear with me. I mean, how would you like it to be on the airplane and the, the captain, the pilot comes over and before you take off and he says, oh, yeah, uh, I just want to let you know that uh, we'll be uh, delayed for about uh, seven hours, so just bear with us. <laughs> am, am I going to miss my other flight? Oh, yes, you will. Just bear with us. I, yeah, we... We, we hear that word from time to time, and it's almost sometimes given negatively. You just have to bear with us. But God doesn't give us that word in a negative way. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 7 says it like this, that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So when we bear with one another in love, really what we're doing is we're covering, we're protecting we're keeping safe. That's the word bear. It, it means to conceal, to hide, to keep secret of the errors and faults of others. That's what it means. To bear one another's burden or to bear one another with love, it means to conceal, to, to help when we're going through a difficult time. That we feel sometimes, oh no, but I have to tell them what it is that they're doing that is wrong. I need to show them that no, this isn't right. And maybe there are times where in a, in a relationship where someone says, can you help me? And maybe that might be so. But sometimes we're so quick to point fingers that we forget we're supposed to bear and conceal so that God can heal. Here's how the Bible puts it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. It says to be completely what? Humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, above all, love each other. How? Deeply, not surfacely, because love covers a multitude of sins. But just because the Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins doesn't mean we sin multiply. It's just saying that love covers a multitude of sin. That that's what Jesus did for us. He covered us with love so we can heal. Why? Because we have a multitude of sins that deeply wounds us and hurts us and damages us. But he wants to heal us because damaged people damage people. 
And so when he says, no, I'm going to cover you, it's almost like a Band-Aid and some gauze over your wound while it's healing. He says, I'm going to cover you with love. Oh, it's easy to just take off all the material and all the, the, the ointment and all of that, scrub it clean and say, look at what, look at what happened. Look, every day, just look at look, look the bad, look at the bad. Yeah, it gets infected. But the Lord says, no, I'm going to cover you and I'm going to take care of you because love covers a multitude of sins so you can heal. That's the healing process God has for us. And sometimes a counterfeiter will come in and say, no, 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 you know what you need to do? You need to point fault in others. You need to let them know what they're doing that is wrong so that they can come to know God. Isn't that what you want for them to come to know God? And then the Lord says, no, 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 love covers a multitude of sin. Yeah, but what if they keep sinning? Well, you think you can stop them? Love covers a multitude of sin. It's the love of God. And what he does is he, when people connect with him because they're being healed and coming to health, then God speaks. Then God can bring the healing that we never could just by our words. See, the enemy wants to make it known. He wants to expose our weaknesses and show us our evil and the bad things that we've done. But Jesus, Jesus time and time again, always covered people with love. Just take the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan, and Jesus was on his way uh, to another city, and, and he had to pass through this one area called Samaria. The Samaritans and Jews didn't get along, and there's some history there. But Jesus sees this woman at the well, and he asks her for a drink of water. And she says, well, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. You're asking me for a drink? And Jesus says, you know, if you only knew who was asking you for a drink, he would have given you living water. And she says, well, where can I get this kind of water? And he says, well, go get your husband. And she goes, well, I don't, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right, you, you don't. You, you've had five. And the one you're living with right now is, is not your husband. And she goes, well, are you a prophet? It's almost like, yeah, obviously, he told you everything about your life. But then he teaches her about worship. And he teaches her the love of God, and he, he loves her. This woman goes back to the city, brings everyone from that city back to Jesus and said, you got to come listen to this man who told me what I did that was wrong. Come, you got to listen to this man who told me my faults. Come, you should listen to this man because he showed me how terrible I am and he showed me how terrible my past is. You know what she said? She didn't say all of that. She said, come and see the man who told me everything about me. She was a greater evangelist at that moment than the disciples were. You know what the disciples brought back? She brought back the entire city. You know what they brought back? Food. Sounds like us. I get musubis, Jesus. I got some, I got some manapuas. We can, oh, kind of choke people. I don't know. I don't know. We, we eat after. That, that's like us. We, we forget about God is doing something here so he can do something there. And so his love covered, covered the multitude of sins that this woman had. And he hasn't changed one bit. He still covers our sin with his love. Love can only be demonstrated when it is correctly used by those who know how to use it. And that's you and I. We should be the ones to love people in this world. Now, I don't know about you, but this world needs more people to love, not condemn, not point out faults, 
but to conceal so that there can be healing. The enemy wants to do the opposite. He wants to just show everybody's faults. And the power of one person, loving one person, like Jesus does, is equivalent to the immune system fighting off disease. It's just one at a time. When Heidi and I first came to church, we, we didn't know, you know, this thing about God and, and our relationship with Him and all of that. And, and we were living together and we didn't know, you know, well, how are we supposed to live this life worthy of the calling? And when we came to church, no one condemned us. They loved us. And then we wanted to serve in the youth ministry. And then they said, well, well pray and ask God if this is the direction you should go. So we prayed and we asked God. And, and it's, it's like the Lord says, well, how effective do you want to be? I said, well, we, well, we want to we do great things for you. We want to be very effective. Then he said this, well, what are you willing to give up? I said, um, I, I don't know. What, like, what do I give up? He says, what are, what are you willing to give up for me? I said, whatever, whatever you want. And in prayer, he says, well, how long have you been together with Heidi? I said, well, s- seven years. He says, okay, are you going to marry her one day? I said, yeah, absolutely. He says, When? like oh and i couldn't answer that question and the more i learned about god and his ways the more i learned that he wanted the very best for us and so we were living together and we're, we we had to come together and say you know what we what we're doing is not right we need to we need to get right before god so we know we're going to get married someday how about next month so we said, okay, and put everything together. And it may not have been the, the most grandest of weddings, but I can tell you this, I, the blessing of God that came after that was unbelievable. And when we went to church, no one, no one condemned. Now, I say that not for you to say, oh, my goodness, so uncomncomfortable. I'm sitting next to this guy who I'm, and I like marry him or, or next to the girl. And, and you're like, ah, I'm not, I'm pressured. That was my story. Okay, so relax. Just calm down. You're fanning yourself like, oh my goodness, this is, I don't like marrying this person. It's, it's not about that. The principle was that God spoke, and if we wanted his very best, we obeyed. It was some of our, some of our staff members who are on staff today who said, you know, um, there is, a, there is a, a calling on this young man's life. And they loved Heidi and I to our very best, even till this day, because we still have, as we all do, multitudes of sin. I don't have as many as you, but we still, <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> My list is long. It just went longer, God. I know I'm sorry. <laughs> and I've never seen anyone go wrong when someone covered them with, a, with love. But I've seen us go bad when we just said, condemnation your faults and then exposed everything no one condemned us they loved us and jesus didn't condemn and god will speak to you in love and when he does just obey him now why do we do that because history shows that powerful movements history makers innovative ideas and spiritual revivals always started with one person that's how valuable you are therefore here's the last thing keep the unity of the spirit Keep the unity of the Spirit. In other words, 
we'll become disunified with God from time to time. But you stay in unity with the Spirit. Why? Because God is always in unity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Always in unity. And therefore, we sometimes will stray from that unity with God. And we can always come back to Him to keep that unity. Unity of the Spirit is not just agreeing with God and saying, oh, that's a great idea. Unity of the Spirit is being one with Christ. It's always being one with Him. Satan wants us to think that unity of the Spirit is just doing church stuff. That if we can just do church stuff, then, oh, we're in unity with the Spirit. No, it includes that, but it's not in itself. Attending church is great, but that doesn't say that I'm in unity with God. It could be, but it's not the one thing. It's a lifestyle. It's a life worthy of this calling. That whoever God has called you to be, that now we can be one with Him. Getting along with each other may seem like, oh, we're in unity with the Spirit. That doesn't mean we're in unity with the Spirit. We can act like we're getting along, and then when they leave, it's like, oh, my goodness, I cannot stand that person. Oh, my goodness. I don't know how long I can fake this. That's not, see, unity with the Spirit, it comes to your relationship with Christ. It was Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 that he said, Father, may they be one with us as we are one. That was his prayer. Jesus prays for us to be one with him. Imagine that. And the devil comes in and says, yeah, but you, you don't have to worry. He covers you. He loves you. You can just do whatever you want. He'll forgive you. But then Jesus is saying, no, I see something greater for your life. That I'm never going to give up on you, so stay in unity. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 tells us, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. In other words, let your conduct, your, how you're dressed, that you would be dressed for the occasion. Be worthy of the gospel. Ephesians 4 verses 3 to 6 tells us to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Talk about being unified with God. In other words, he's saying, when you're unified with me, I'm in everything that you'll be doing. Because he's all about this relationship to make every effort. I came across this little poem-ish, illustrative kind of thing that I thought, no, this is pretty interesting. And although a little funny and humorous, a little bit, uh, please don't get offended by it. It just gives us a, a kind of a direction of how one person makes a difference. And it, it starts off in this way, that there are 330 million, uh, 335 million people, roughly, in the United States, our population. And it talks about how, how many people are doing the workload. Just the regular day in and day out kinds of things. It says 84 million, 84 million are 64 years old and older and are retired. So they're not doing much of the work, which leaves... 251 million of us to do the rest of the work. 95 million are in their 20s, so they're not doing any work, which leaves us to 156. I'm just reading this, okay, so don't get mad at me. Just get mad at this. 100, it leaves 156 million to do the work. 
27 million are employed by government, which leaves us with 129 million people <laughs> to do the work. 14 million are in armed forces, so they're working hard around the world, which leaves us to 115 million to do this work. There are over 20 million state and city offices, which leaves us to 95 million people to do the rest of the work. Six million people are in hospitals, mental institutions, and various asylums, which leaves us to 89 million people to do the work in our nation. It is estimated that 85 million people are lazy. So that leaves us to 4 million people. The lazy people are like, I don't get it. I, I, junk dish joke. It leaves us to 4 million people. But it is also said that 3,999,998 people are incarcerated, which leaves us with only two people, you and me. And I'm going on vacation, so <laughs> you're on your own. Now, although we can kind of dwindle it down to, oh, yeah, yeah, one person, that's all we have left. One person does make a difference. One person can make a difference in the family. One father can make a difference for an entire generation and even beyond. One mother can make the difference in generations to come. One person can do that. Just look at your upline. Just look at those who are above you. Maybe your parents, grandparents. They made a difference. And they did something that may have gone well or may have not gone so well, but one person can do that. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16 gives us clarity in that power of one. And it says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in all, or until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming, especially from the enemy, of course. Instead, speaking the truth in, what is it? Love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every support, supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. See, it all comes down to being one with Christ and unified with him. That's the power of one. God the Father took the fault and the blame when it was Adam and Eve in the garden that disobeyed God. He said, no, this is my fault. I will take the blame and I will take it upon myself. And so Jesus came and died for our sins in our place. Jesus agreed with the Father that I will go. And the Holy Spirit empowered him for that to happen, for him to die on the cross. Let's not just be people who succumb to the whispers of the enemy who says you don't matter, you can't make a difference, you're not valuable, look at the mistakes you've made, look at what you're doing. Let's not listen to that. How about we go back to God, be unified with him, because you matter to God. You matter to Jesus. And he modeled for us what happens when one person embraces their calling, that he covers us in love, 
and stays united in the Spirit with the Father and the Holy Spirit. That's our Lord. That's Jesus. And if you ever want to know what God looks like, look to Jesus. That's the power of one. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to receive communion this morning. And maybe for some of you, you're thinking, well, where do I fit in the whole scheme of things when it comes to my relationship with God? I don't, I don't know where I fit in all of this. Well, God already sees our life from beginning to end. And maybe today God is inviting you to come home to Him, to come into this relationship with Him. Not a religion where you have to do things. No, you just be with Him. It's out of the being that you're gonna, your faith is going to prompt you to do. But unless we're with God, we wouldn't know what direction to go. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, I've never given my heart to Jesus. I don't even know what that looks like, how to, how to pray this prayer. Well, as I pray this prayer, as you agree with it, you just include your heart, and I'll lead you. And it's giving your heart to Jesus. And if you're here and you're saying, I, I want to give my heart to Jesus, I'm thankful that he covers, he covers me with love. And I, I want eternal life. If that's you, would you just lift a hand real briefly and you're just saying, I want Jesus in my heart. Okay, God sees you right here, right here, right here. Yeah, got you. God sees you back there, right here. A whole bunch of you back there, right here. God sees you, yeah, right here. He's touching your heart, right here. God sees you, right there, back there. Both of you, right here. God sees you. Yeah, God sees you too. Absolutely, right there. God sees you. He knows your prayers. He sees your heart. Yeah. Okay, you can put your hands down. As we pray this prayer, it's a prayer of salvation. Now, you may be a believer and you may have prayed this a thousand times, but it's always such a reminder, the power that comes with one prayer. And maybe God is doing something in your heart. I'm sure he is. Let him do it. Be one with him. As we pray this prayer, make it your declaration. And here's our prayer. Heavenly Father, Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Make me brand new. I believe you died on the cross. And you rose from the grave to give me eternal life. I thank you for drawing me near so that I can be one with you. In Jesus' name I pray. And we all said together, amen. Can we just congratulate those that said yes to Jesus this morning? It's the best decision. The ushers are going to pass out the juice and the bread right now. And as they do so, just hang on to the juice and the bread. And then I'll come back up. You can go ahead, ushers. And when I come back up, we're going to receive communion together. I'll explain a little bit about what communion is. And then for those who did say yes to Jesus, at the end of service, you're going to see some ushers with some Bibles. That's a free gift from us to you. Just let them know you received Christ, and they'll give that to you. It'll help you with your walk with Jesus. And then just keep loving Jesus. Just be in unity with the Spirit. Communion is a time where we get to reflect and examine our hearts, as the Bible says. So just take a moment as the worship team sings a wonderful song. You can sing it if you wish. But listen to the words. It's powerful. As we examine our hearts, kind of do some self-assessment, like a little checkup. Now let God speak.
And whatever he wants to do, whatever he's showing you, be one with him. And let's just take this time to reflect on who he is and what we've been learning. And then I'll come back up and receive communion together. Okay? Go ahead.
come to the altar the father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of jesus christ oh come to the altar the father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of It was in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that Paul the Apostle is now receiving communion with the disciples. And he's, he's reiterating what took place with Jesus. He's reiterating what Jesus did with the disciples, not Paul with the disciples, excuse me. And so he says this, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying that this cup is a new covenant written in my blood. Whenever you drink this, drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. In other words, there is hope that is coming. But until then, remember what Jesus has done because he gives us hope for today. That's the power of what one person did, what Jesus did. And he says, I want to pass that power on to you, that you can do something great in this world for the kingdom of God. And whoever God has called you to be, you seek him. You be in unity with his spirit. You find out what that is, and don't let the counterfeiter come in to tell you different. You're that valuable to God, and you matter to him. And so when we take the bread together, just remember his body was broken so that ours would be healed. You take the bread together. The Bible tells us that the life is in the blood, and Jesus gave his life, his blood, for you and I that his love will always cover a multitude of sins. It's not so that God can just overlook it, but it's because he paid for it. And because of that, because of his love, we can draw near to him. Thanks be to God for the blood of Jesus. Would you take together? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that even as we reflect and as we think through just the life that you have given to us, that whatever it would be, whatever word you give to us, whatever we receive from you in this time of reflection, 
May we be people who walk this life and live in such a way that is worthy of the calling that you have given to us. That we would always be one with you, one in unity, one in spirit. That nothing would get in the way of us being with you. That we would bear one another's, bear with one another in love. We need love, Lord, and it comes from you. So could you fill us afresh with your love? That's the power of one person, what you did for us. Let us do the same for others out there in the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and we all said together, amen. Amen. Can we just thank our God?